0: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch.
1: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is Randy. Yes, that's not a mistake, and I'm not chatting with myself. I'm chatting with Randy Barshak. Randy is the CMO of RollWorks, a division of NetRoll. And if you don't know RollWorks, they're one of our great partners at Uberflip, but a massive organization. Now, NetRoll as a whole is almost 500 people. RollWorks focuses specifically on B2B marketers and has about 200 people on their team, 24 marketers. And Randy runs a team that is all about meeting buyers where they are. And she talked to me about the authenticity, both in terms of who you are yourself, understanding what you need to progress in your choices, and she talks about that in terms of her career, but even more importantly in the buyer journey. The ability to meet someone and understand that not everyone is going to be the ideal buyer you want them to be but that you can relate to them if you take time to listen to them to ask them questions and she shares some great tips including the approach with her sales deck which i think is really fascinating and we're sticking around for here's my chat with another randy randy Barshak. Andy, thank you so much for stopping in. I am really pumped to talk to you. I mean, we get to talk from a partnership perspective, but I don't know much about you and how you got into marketing. So why don't we start there? What was the pull to bring you into marketing in the first place?
0: To bring me into marketing? Um, there, There's a few kind of uh, variations of the story, but I would say uh, there was actually a woman I, I used to work with who was the quote unquote marketing manager um, back When I was, um, uh, we can talk about this a little bit later, but I came up through production through film and video production and then CD-ROM production. And so when I was producing CD-ROMs in the 90s, there was a woman um, who was the quote marketing manager and she had an MBA and just was like really, really intrigued with, wait, I, you know, I'm sitting here in the back room seemingly doing all the work and, you know, she gets to go all over the world and like hawk this product that I'm building. So my, my working with her was what sort of triggered the intrigue. And then very shortly after that, I was living in Tel Aviv at the time, and it was a bit of the Wild West in terms of multimedia and Internet was brand new. Um, and, and I had an opportunity to go work for a company that was both producing multimedia products, but also trying to monetize some of the technologies they had developed. So it was a really great hybrid opportunity um, where the only, the bar for being a marketing manager was just really being able to speak fluent English and um, wear some different clothes. So I would actually stand in front of my mirror every morning. Um, I won't give the full name of this woman. Her first name was Ellen. Um, And I I would sit, I would stand in front of my mirror and say like, would Ellen wear this? You know, I was used to wearing shorts and t-shirts and like, you know, on a good day, I'd wear shoes to the office. I was like, no, Ellen wouldn't wear this. So I, you know, I forced myself to change and bought like skirts and tried to dress a little bit more like an adult and act more like a marketer. Um, Hopefully you don't
1: have to do that these days. Hopefully now that you're a CMO, multi-time CMO for that matter, uh, you know, you can be taken for your accomplishments versus your dress code. Uh, Yeah,
0: now it's all work from home. So, you know, it's, you know, it's a good day if I, if I put on pants, so.
1: Right. Blouse on top, who knows what's below. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So Randy, walk us through how you've picked winners and and what I mean by that is you have been with companies that have continually been acquired, either in your time there or shortly after when you've you know helped you know bring this company to maturity. But what is your benchmark for picking a winner or one that will break through and be meaningful to another company
0: oh well wow. that's that's the sixty four thousand dollar question, isn't it? Um, You know, Randy, I have to be fully honest with you. I don't know that I always do pick the best winners. Let me me clarify what I mean by that. There have been opportunities where I've walked into an interview or something, and I know this company's, there's going to be a really positive outcome. But I just can't see myself being happy in that environment or in that sector for whatever reason and haven't ended up pursuing those paths. And I, I, you know, from time to time, I'll then go look and, you you know, you should never do the math of, well, if I had gone there, what would it have meant? But there's usually something more serendipitous that clicks for me, Um, either clicking with the CEO or really feeling passionate about the industry or the sector that the company's in, there's, there's usually something more personal. And I have to say it's less intentional than you would think it is. I sometimes wonder like if I could go back, would I be more calculating? Because I'd probably, I'd probably be a wealthier woman if I, if I had been more calculating. <laughs> But I tend to optimize for: Do I think I'm going to be happy and fulfilled for the next, you know, three, four, five years, walking into this office every day? And sometimes, honestly, that's going after a market that I really don't know much about. I remember when I when I went to interview for Mashery, um, which was, you know, as a company that really pioneered API management. I had no idea what an API was. I was like on Wikipedia, you know, right up until my interview really clicked with the CEO. I think he really appreciated the fact that my background wasn't super traditional. Um, and that tends to be a better fit for me personally. I didn't start my career in the Valley and come up through a big company. I've had a bit of an otter career and I tend to just approach life in a way that's a little bit less conventional. So we we just really clicked and I very quickly wrapped my head around APIs. I mean within like, you know, 24-48 hours and then realized that hey, this is a market that's really misunderstood. It's seemingly is a very technical thing, but it's really transformational and and it was just such a fun job because I was helping put APIs on the map from like a business perspective, right? We ran the right. business API conference. I was talking to analysts about here's what APIs mean, right? And so it was really, really fulfilling in that it happened to lead to a nice acquisition by Intel of the company. But um, it was more about, I, I have to say personally, it was more optimizing for personal happiness because you can try to optimize for that, financial gain or the outcome it's never guaranteed the markets are so weird and um and then you've spent five years you know miserable
1: that's a great point and, and i love that story too and and also just to give people context i mean you know we all we all know what an api is today but in 2009 not many marketers knew what an api was so no,
0: it was great it was so much fun like helping put that on the map you know the other, I, I won't call out the experience. It's not too difficult to find if if you there's there's one company um, where we were wildly successful, growing revenue, growing market share. We got caught up in um, funkiness in the macro markets, and the company ran out of cash, and there was a fire sale, and it was really, really ugly. And we ran out of cash. I think it was like two or three days after we had closed the biggest quarter and the biggest deal to date. Uh, you see this with SaaS companies. Sometimes it was a cash flow issue. And so, I mean, by some means, that was like a crazy wild disaster, but it was a great experience. Like I'd learned a ton and yeah, it's real it is nice to have meaningful outcomes. I mean, not gonna lie. So
1: let's pull it to to modern day, though. You know, before we take a break here, I'd be remiss to not talk about Roleworks, a company that at Uberflip we love partnering with. Um, I really admire how your team works and how you go to market, and we have some great customers together. But in contrast to joining a company like Mashri, where you didn't know about APIs, I assume that there was passion here, there was love for this idea of either B2B marketing or account-based marketing, you know, areas that not only have you is your company a leader, but you have to be the voice as both the CMO and the user. What was the intrigue to bet on this one?
0: You're kind of wrong there, Randy. Oh wow. <laughs> All right. I see, you know, you assume and you know what they say about you. Uh, there's actually out on the interwebs, and you know, I you if you Google like you know, precisely enough. You can find a video of me, I wouldn't say trash talking ABM, but, but offering a very skeptical view of ABM um, not too long before I joined Roleworks. Wow.
1: Like a political candidate gone wrong.
0: <laughs> it, yeah, like a political candidate. And it wasn't that I was against it. And then and actually I, I often talk to prospects about this. and I. It's actually in it's in some decks that we have. Um, there's a clip of me, you know, saying, "ABM." The term ABM drives me crazy because there are elements of ABM that are just sort of logical, good marketing, and we we've talked about that. But I also had been the recipient of, you know, God knows how many emails every day with. ABM this, ABM that, you need this technology, you need that technology. And when you're marketing to marketers, um, and I, most of the, most of your listeners, I think, are marketers, so you can relate to this, whether you're selling Martech solutions or whether you're you're in another segment. And and by the way, this is my first foray into Martech, right? So I've I've always obviously been a user of Martech. You just get really, really cynical about all the vendors like with the buzzwords. And so ABM to me was the hype had gotten so out of hand that it was more of a buzzword. And I was almost digging my heels in of like, you know, don't tell me what I need to be a good marketer. You know, I'm, you know, you get these, get these people who aren't marketers telling you what you need. And so I was kind of turned off by the buzzword aspect of ABM to be quite honest. I came to Roleworks um, through a CEO I had worked with, and, uh, a, a, a you know, really good friend and mentor and someone I really respected. And So I started the interview process and through the process, I realized I was so turned off by just all the buzzwords around it that I hadn't fully understand understood the power of ABM, particularly ABM at scale. So I feel like there's kind of two schools to ABM the more traditional ABM, which is still very relevant, but which is more manual hand-to-hand combat, which is really account planning. And there's just a way to organize, you know, what traditionally I would call like named account planning. And then a newer school of ABM, which is the one that's really exciting to me. I mean, they're both exciting, but which is ABM at scale, which is really taking the data that is available and the ability to digitize and and scale your ABM efforts to the point that demand gen and ABM become inseparable. And you can really, really optimize your entire demand gen.
1: So just a quick follow-up question on that then, because as you you described, you were a skeptic coming into an industry that you were going to have to be an advocate for. Yes. Who sold you on becoming that advocate for the space? Was it yourself or was it the CEO?
0: It was through the process. As I started, as I was going through the interview process and really started diving into the technology and like not thinking about the buzzwords and the fact that it was ABM, but peeling the covers open. I realized, first of all, selfishly, I'm gonna be a much better marketer when I can really wrap my head around this stuff. And B, I think there's an opportunity for someone like me who hasn't been living and breathing MarTech for years and years to come in because I, I, I think I represent a really good portion of the market where you you're kind of exasperated and overwhelmed with all the buzzwords being thrown at you. The, the way it can sometimes come across is it, it's almost like you're being held hostage. You know, you don't know the latest and greatest. But I realized that I had... I've been so overwhelmed and almost turned off by all the buzzwords that I hadn't really taken the time to investigate what really was out there. so i I it was my own process. It was my own admission that I had been missing something and that that this would be an opportunity to really leapfrog into the latest and greatest in terms of what marketers, what digital marketers could do. So,
1: Fantastic. Well, we're we're going to take a break, Randy, on that note of, of leaping forward. We're going to take a break, hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be back here on The Marketer's Journey with Randy.
0: Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com slash journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
1: I don't know if you caught it, but while Randy was sharing some of the process she went to to fall in love with Rollworks and be excited to jump in, she talked about asking to see the product. And I think this is something many of us skip in interviews. Take time to understand what you're going to be selling. Do you believe in that product? Do you believe in the vision for the product? I've had a number of marketing leaders ask me for a demo and I've had a number of marketing leaders never even go there, never even trying to explore what our product can do. Your company wants you to be the biggest ambassador, and for that, you've got to buy in. So take that time, see what's possible. You may find that you're more excited than ever, or you may find that you don't actually believe in what you're about to sell. And believing is so important to being able to take a solution to market. So Randy, one of the things that you highlighted was your skepticism of ABM. And I, and I think if you look at the term ABM and the buzziness of it, there's people at different spectrums, right? There's people who are all in, and they've been all in on this for five plus years, some maybe 10. And then there's some who know they got to get there. And there's some who are like, no, I'm a, I'm a hardcore traditional demand gen marketer or whatever term they love. How do you think about embracing all of those different people at once.
0: Yeah. So fast forward, by the way, um, I am no longer a skeptic. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's the the opposite. And again, I'm, but I'm very, you know, obviously forthcoming about my own journey and realization. Like, um, and I think you sometimes hear like ABM is just good B2B marketing. And we talk about, abm channels and there even even channels that you would think of normally as very very sort of upper funnel wide channels there's there's no reason not to put an ABM lens on them and and have a play. So we don't feel that ABM needs to be this big transformational thing that is very binary. You're either doing it or you're not. We've we at Rowworks very much believe that there's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and a journey, which fits in very well with uh, with uh, the name of, of your podcast, obviously. So we're very much about meeting marketers where they are. And that's quite honestly what I love about what we're doing. I love talking to prospects because we may have prospects that literally are just wrapping their heads around what to do, don't know what first step to take, are very overwhelmed and it's really great to say, hey, here's two things you can do tomorrow. By the way, here's two things you can do without even our platform. Just just change your mentality and, and you can do this, right? And then there's other companies that are doing a few things and they can take it to the next step. And then we have prospects that have been doing ABM for years and years and wanna take it to the next level or do something different or broaden it. And, it's that can feel overwhelming from a marketing perspective because how do you, how do you do everything for everyone but i feel like we've done a really good job of of enabling a go-to-market that's very much about we are going to meet you where you are on your journey we just rolled out um, a really cool pitch deck which is completely interactive so the sales team might be gritting their teeth a little bit, but it's about you own your journey, right? And, and you tell me here's five things. What would you like to discuss on these five things? And so it, you know, it's completely interactive deck, interactive process. I've got great partnership on our sales team uh, side. They're very much a al- lot. We're very much aligned with, There's no one-size-fits-all for ABM, which makes it more challenging, but it's much more authentic. The reality is we don't expect you to take something out of the box and use it exactly as prescribed. Um, We believe that there needs to be a framework and we could give you suggestions, but it's really leveraging the knowledge we have from our hundreds of customers and saying, hey, here's a customer that looks just like you or looks like you in these aspects and where here's a few things they did. And how about you try this first and then, you know, meet them on the uniqueness of their journey.
1: So that, that sounds beyond ideal. You know, the ability to meet the buyer where they are, I, I may end up calling this episode just that <laughs> I, I, I think at the same time, this, this is, you know, perhaps a aggressive mindset for some marketers to think about. And, you know, not to challenge you, I kind of want to understand how you manage this, because as you said, you're appealing to someone who's just getting started with ABM, and then you're appealing to people who are really sophisticated. And, you know, I'm thinking about the joint customer we did a webinar with together, you know, a little year over a year ago. That's a super sophisticated, you know, marketer on ABM she's probably brighter than the two of us put together in terms of knowing what what to do with ABM. And, you know, and you're making her super successful. At the same time, I look at something like your pricing page, where you're working with really small companies and you have pricing for that all the way up to really large enterprises. How do you justify that approach? Because I think a lot of us, from an ABM perspective, we also think about somewhat, you know, more targeted approach and more narrow selection, how are you able to, I don't know if the right word is appease or adjust on the fly. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I honestly, Randy, I think it is the more authentic approach, right? And uh, less preachy, right? So I think when you walk in and you say, here's the one way to do it, and here's our framework and you have to do it and and we're going to grade you based on our perception of the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There, there are definitely a school of marketers who want that comfort and they want to conform to quote the ideal. But the reality is there's a really low chance that that ideal is going to be best for their business. And so I actually think those marketers often are doing a disservice, but there's a, um, there's almost like a, um, a a sort of critical thinking involved, where for those of, of you listening that have children, and you you look at all the different, you know, the Montessori school versus the other school, you know, it's really about the critical thinking. So it's about, it's about okay. listening. It's not about telling. I think there's too many marketers out there that are telling you what you need to do. It's like, can you just stop telling people, and listen to what the problems are that you're, you need to solve, and then Feel really confident in your solution and the fact that your solution can solve many, many problems. Um, not every problem, but many, many problems. So the way we approach our go-to-market is very focused on listening. Like stop sitting there with your scripted spiel and shoving it down people's throats. Sorry, I'm being like very, <laughs> very, you know, forceful, I guess, in my language, and, and just start listening to what people are trying to achieve and then have the confidence that you've got some really great capabilities out there and map those to solving the problems.
1: Well, I love that example you gave earlier of the, of the sales deck because that's, that's exactly what you're suggesting, which is we're not gonna have one deck. We're gonna have, as you called it, almost a choose your own adventure.
0: Yes, that's literally what it's called. It's called choose your own adventure.
1: That's awesome. I love those books growing up, and, and we all we all know them so well. What else do you do in terms of providing that choice? Because working with sales is one piece. I know another thing that you and I have spoken a lot about is you know, every ad, every channel, as you said, that we greet someone with has to land on a compelling destination where they can also choose. How does content weigh into this?
0: Yeah, and I think this is obviously an area you know well, Randy, but I, I think there's this many... Uh, many marketers get overwhelmed by thinking it has, you have to go straight from like everything to one-to-one. And what you don't realize is there's a lot of one-to-many and one-to-few opportunities for content that are really compelling. I, Your marketer, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I, your prospects don't really care that they know it's exactly you. Like I really don't care if it, you know, if it says, "Hey, Randy Barshak at the top of the page, um as much as I want content that speaks to me. So if that content happens to speak to somebody else as well, that's great. That's totally fine. Um, as long as it speaks to me. So I think there's this really interesting gray area that we tend to we tend to sort of jump over that's not one to one, but not just like sort of general messaging. Where there's real opportunities, and so if you understand the attributes of who you're speaking to, um, then you're going to you're going to lock those prospects in because you're going to be speaking to the challenges they have, whether it's the size of the business, whether it's the sector they're in, whether it's the firmographics that they're using, whether it's where they are on their A-RAM journey. So it's really about knowing. It's really about the segmentation. Many companies don't have the resources for that one-to-one. So there's there's just so many opportunities in between there where you can get relevance without having to have one-to-one personalization.
1: Oh, look at you! You're, you're teasing the integration that we have between RollWorks and Uberflip so well. We'll leave people to dig in a little bit more, or I'll tease you a little bit more with that later. Randy, we're going to keep you around for one more segment right after this short break. So seldomly do I actually plug any products, but I gotta plug a combination of RollWorks and Uberflip here because Randy's company, that is Randy Barshak's company, RollWorks and mine, Uberflip, actually work really well hand-in-hand hand for exactly what Randy was telling you you gotta be doing, which is meet people with content that's relevant to them. Now, knowing first name and knowing their logo is important. And with RollWorks, you can actually surface that inside of the page that you send someone to. So say you're delivering an ad, perhaps through Rollworks, and then they land on the destination powered by Uberflip. The two solutions allow you to personalize with name, but more importantly, allow you to filter down and show relevant content on that page by understanding certain elements like what vertical they may be within, what company they're from, and the tags in your content that match to that opportunity. This is exactly what Randy's talking about. We need to meet people with what they're looking for. We need to be there as an advisor. And when you use solutions like this, you use technology, you're able to achieve that scale that Randy has talked about all throughout today's podcast. So Randy, I want to ask you about the next CMO you know, the future CMOs who you've worked with or you think just need to sharpen their skills to get to this level. Now, you came from a very untraditional path into one where you've, you know, found success over and over. What do you think the right entry point is to marketing these days in terms of job function?
0: I Honestly, Randy, I think it can be anywhere. Um, I don't think there's a right path And the key is the self-awareness and realization. So knowing what you can do and being well aware of what you either can't do or skills you need to build. To me, that's the key.
1: Interesting. I I like also that awareness of the need to be aware of what you can't do. And, you know, how have you gone about? filling those gaps for yourself, becoming a CMO, you know, it's not, you know, not reasonable to be expected that even a CMO can do it all. What is your trick to create that balance on your team?
0: I think the trick is it's someone in my background of, of having spent so much time overseas. I really, I really love diversity. Uh, And I don't mean that in the cliche way that everyone says it, I really have sought that out in my life, in my career. And so I love the magic of diverse teams and when I hire I really I I never look for duplicates of people I already have. I look for people that are going to be healthy balancers.
1: I love that. It's a fresh way to look at it. So let's let's shift to an area we talked about a little bit and that's content. You talked about the importance of content solving your problems. What is it though about content that gets you to click? What what gets you enticed in terms of either the format, the length, you know, what in general makes it appealing?
0: The re- like I said the relevance, right? This I this can relate this relates to me. I don't want to be preached to. I want some something that's going to speak to what's on my mind that day. And honestly, I I say this, maybe this is the filmmaker background in me, the imagery so people look before they read. So you, you've you got to have a compelling sort of image and headline, and then people will decide whether they're going to read the smaller text or not.
1: I think that's a, it's such an overlooked but important element. I obsess over that blog or tile image of whatever I'm going to post Absolutely. on LinkedIn. What is it, though, that helps you know that it's going to be relevant? Because you said earlier that, you know, first name is nice, but... That doesn't tell me that you actually have a solution for me. How do you? How can you sniff test to say this content's relevant?
0: Well, this is where the meta world of marketing to marketers helps. We battle test it with ourselves. Do we want to read this? Do we find it interesting? Uh, is this putting us to sleep or not? And so we will. We will. You know, throw out lots of ideas uh, because we feel like I wouldn't want to read this. I don't. I don't find this as interesting. Um, so we we battle test ourselves first, and that's a good, good barometer.
1: And and just for everyone listening, you, you don't have to be in marketing to battle test it. Find your user in your organization, yes. find a focus group, find a customer advisory board and check with them. That's great advice. So my last question for you really brings the journey full circle, and that comes to making time for yourself, for your family. How do you balance that with the expectations of being a CMO?
0: Because I'm a mom and some people are working parents, moms are parents. I will say bagel Fridays was my key. Um, I was not there every day to take my son to school, um, nor be at every activity, but we had uh, bagel Fridays. I would drive him to school every Friday and we would get bagels on the way. And up until the pandemic, things sort of got a little thrown out of whack with the pandemic. You know, it was our SLA. People knew not to schedule meetings. And so I feel like looking back, my son will remember the Friday, bagel Fridays and not remember all the Tuesdays that I was not available. So carve out some time. It doesn't doesn't have to be, you know, it, it can be quality over quantity you know, for all of those things. Uh, and as my son goes off to college in a year, I've got one more year with him, you know, more and more of those small moments are drive car once a week. It doesn't have to be every day, but
1: you listen, know. I, I think you're going to be bringing him bagels all the way to college because uh, that's a great tradition and, and great advice. Just, you know, bagels aside, the the mindset of carving out time for yourself, for family, is something I always preach because if, if you don't set that time, you'll get filled with something from work. Randy, this has been such a pleasure. I, I can't thank you enough for everything that you've shared. If you're tuning in to this episode as your first of the marketer's journey, know that every marketer's journey is unique. Yours is taking its own path. One day, maybe you'll be on here to share it, but until next time, check out all the other great CMOs who I've been fortunate to chat with. Listen to their stories, learn from them. Thanks so much for tuning in.
0: You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Oh, <laughs>